Global Sport Matters presents, in collaboration with Columbia University Sports Management, the Sports Professors Podcast, where Professors Kenneth Shropshire and Scott Rosner discuss the 101 on what happened in sports business. Hello and welcome to the Sports Professors Podcast. I'm Scott Rosner, the Academic Director of the Sports Management Program at Columbia University, along with Ken Shropshire, CEO of the Global Sport Institute at Arizona State University. Ken, how are you doing today? Doing great, doing great. You, you actually said the names of both of those uh, enterprises properly. I'm not going to let anybody know how many takes it took for you to, to pull that off. But all's good. All's good. It is a, a huge huge uh, sports couple of weeks since we've been together. So glad we had a chance to have this, this conversation to go through in our own special kind of way as we used to do on Sirius XM about uh, what's up in sports, business, law, and society. And, and the last couple of weeks have certainly brought us no shortage of things happening on the courts and on the fields, on the ice and off as well. And the focus, obviously, of our conversation here for our new listeners is what has happened off of the field on the business and law side of the equation. You know, we can't ignore that the NBA playoffs um, you know, are ongoing as are the NHL playoffs. The WNBA uh, is back in in full uh, full season mode, um, and you know the the sports calendar moves on. But you know, Ken, what has has caught your eye in the last week or two in the business of sports? You know, just just on, on those topics you, you just brought up about these playoffs and the seasons that have run into each other, and we we've we're recording this. Uh, the morning after uh, LeBron James and the Lakers are out. And the talk is about what impact does doing these, these back-to-back seasons, you know, this, this idea of not having a real break, what impact does it have on, on the business? What impact does it have on the player performance? So I think we're going to hear a lot more about this issue of the pandemic. I mean, heaven forbid you have to do it again, but do you take this into account if you have to do it again? That, that there is a need, arguably, for a bigger break than these, these players have had almost across, across sport. I mean, what, who do we say? Baseball had maybe the most reasonable break. I, I yeah, think. baseball seemed to be closest in to what it nor- to what its normal resemblance of an offseason. You know, and I think that the knock-on effects are real. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily been limited to just manifesting itself in the playoffs as it has with your uh, once beloved uh, Los Angeles Lakers team. I think we saw it in the regular season as well uh, along the way in the NHL uh, and, and other leagues as well. But I think now as the players get increasingly fatigued and the wear and tear of the season comes upon them in the playoffs, this is when I think we will certainly start to see uh, even more of it and perhaps even blamed as teams are uh, are ousted from the playoffs, you know, whether fair or not to blame uh, the shortened off season. So right. certainly something to continue to keep our eyes on. No question. And I think it's a big part of the, the business theme that we think about is, is what obligations do, do the business businesses have to think about the interests of the athletes and whether it's the physical or as we're going to talk about with Naomi Osaka, uh, the mental aspects of, of the athlete that, that all of this stuff has on them. Uh, or do we you know, just say, hey, this is what the schedule looks like. This is what we need to do. So get out there and play. 
Well, I think you look at it and you certainly think about it from the impact it's going to have on the players and the players associations in each of the major leagues will voice and have voiced their opinions on the appropriate length of the offseason. But I think, Ken, ultimately we recognize that there is one thing that is driving the leagues to be on this calendar that we have found them on uh, in the past year, and that's media. So once it is assumed that the leagues and expected that the business can be carried on safely, right, that pandemic conditions um, – uh, in, in the local communities uh, can be negotiated uh, around safely, then it's what do we think about with respect to, uh, to media? And we had a really busy calendar in the fall in particular with the relaunch of all the leagues. And we know that that uh, to a certain extent may have had an impact on the ratings because there's only so much sports that you can watch, even in the Shropshire and Rosner households. Um, you know, it's there's only a certain amount of sports that, that you can consume um, and that there was a little bit of fatigue because there was so much going on that you had to pick and choose your spots uh, about what you would be watching and at what time. But I think certainly it's been, it was media driven. And, you know, my sense going forward is that we're going to return you know, knock on wood uh, or whatever you choose to your to you know wipe away your super, superstitions on. I think it is going to return to a more normal calendar moving forward. Um, you know, for the the next season. So think about the twenty twenty one NFL season, the twenty twenty one. 22 NBA NHL seasons look like they're going to start in a much closer time to when they usually would. So, so we've got a return to normalcy of of sorts. It's happening in terms of, of you know, numbers of fans in the stands and that sort of stuff, almost across sport. And the one place where we're thinking there there's not going to be normalcy is in the, the biggest, or you would say the second biggest sporting event in the world, the Olympics. The, you, you go for the World Cup, just for, for our listeners. But, well, it depends how you measure it, right? Um, but certainly from, you know, the Tokyo Olympics standpoint, you know, the delayed 2020 games to be held in starting in July uh, of 21, that's still not a fait accompli, right? We're not sure that that's actually going to happen. Um, you know, it's it's tricky. I, I think the Olympics in particular are tricky. I think that, you know, being put on the, the, the travel ban list as Japan was in the United States, um, most other countries in the world are on that red list of places that you should not travel right now. Uh, but as we talked about on our last episode, uh, the optics of being in that mode of putting on the Olympic Games in Japan, where only two to three percent of the population still has been vaccinated, uh, is it's not a good look. And I think what we're seeing now is the sponsors voicing their opinion. There was a survey uh, done in in the last day or two uh, that almost fifty Olympic sponsors have come out and voiced their desires for the games to be delayed. So we've got that, and then those fan surveys are. The lowest I've heard in, in terms of uh, saying they don't they don't want the games to go on is sixty five percent. Their their numbers are up as high as 90 percent of the people of Japan saying we don't we don't want these games. And then another thing that I just saw today by the uh, there's a great guy Rich Perlman that does this this uh, publication was talking about the number of volunteers that are needed 
and how that number fallen off by tens of thousands. I think they need 80 or 90,000. And right now they have 70,000. So that's a major part of the games that, that's, that's having a problem. If you don't have the volunteers, uh, you can't move things around. You, no you, question. You, you Some of our listeners. Team. Yeah. Some of our listeners may not be aware of this, that, you know, volunteers are the lifeblood a lot of a lot of these major uh, global sporting events from the Olympics to the World Cup and are really essential for those events to function in the way that we are accustomed as spectators uh, to to function. I mean, so Ken, you know this, but you know, my first real job in sports was working for the World Cup in 1994 uh, and helping coordinate the volunteer effort at the Giants Stadium games, and you know that was uh, an epic undertaking. Uh, just to host games, a handful of games at one venue. So when you think about the 80 or 90,000 volunteers that you need, and and already at least 10,000, according to media reports, have said, hey, we're not going to do this, whether because of travel uh, difficulties or just, you know, being nervous about, understandably, about about COVID, um, that they've stepped back. So that's a story that we'll have to keep our eye on uh, going forward. Yeah, and, and, and before we get to our, our main topic, uh, Naomi Osaka and, and the issues related to that, uh, we should remind everybody that Scott's first job in sports was, I think, selling peanuts at the vet. And his uh, most famous job was the mascot. Who were you the mascot for? Striker the Dog, 1994 World Cup. And Ken, I got to correct you on that. I would have been living fat and large if it was peanuts. I had I had soda and ice cream. Peanuts. Okay, I thought maybe you know, the worst is, I understand, is the frozen banana. That's the toughest thing to sell at the ballpark. So you, you well, were not at the bottom rung. No, but I did have the occasional Choco Taco ice cream sandwich on Sunday afternoons. So, which which wasn't the worst wasn't the worst gig. I think I probably ate most of the profits on that one. Uh, so, my apologies to what was then Ogden Entertainment Corporation uh, and the Philadelphia Phillies for not allowing them to take their fair share. Um, but you know, our, the story that we've that has really captured national headlines and to an extent global headlines because of the nature of the athlete and the sport. Uh, was Naomi Osaka uh, withdrawing from the French Open, um, you know, early on in the tournament. Uh, and, you know, something that has, has really been the subject of a lot of conversation uh, and brought other athletes into the fold. So, Ken, what were your thoughts on, on Osaka? Um, and maybe explain a little bit about, uh, about the, the background. Well, what was most interesting is that she, she tweeted that she wasn't going to do any press before, before the tournament. Um, and, and the illusion was more to uh, focus and concentration. And I'm, you know, she didn't use these words, I'm sick of the press. Uh, some I love. She actually had some positive comments. And then, uh, so she did not uh, go to the press after her first, first round victory and got a $15,000 fine from the association. And then she uh, issued a statement, which essentially said, I'm okay, well, I'm, I'm done. Um, uh, she described uh, her mental state and why she did not want to deal with press and, and really made, I thought, a pretty eloquent statement about the idea of, look, you got to understand, this is a real thing for me, maybe a real thing for others, and you can't compel me to do this. 
So as she, as she steps away, you know, the initial statement from um, the French Open people, what's, what's the association called? French, French Tennis Federation. French, French Tennis Federation, the P, French Open people, uh, it's said essentially, uh, you know, there are a lot of colloquial ways I could phrase this, but essentially, you know, we're bigger than you are. And uh, it, we're going to show you that if you don't cooperate with us, we're going to keep finding you. And, and not only that, you you got the other federations, uh, the other associations joining in and saying the same thing. Kind of, kind of. Oh, we better, we better cut. You know, <laughs> kneeling. We better stop this before it goes too far. Without thinking about what what this really means. And I don't, I don't know about you, Scott, but what what did you think the public reaction was? Who who did the public favor? Uh, and what were the elements in, involved in that? And 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 you know, free, from your standpoint. Who was right and who who was wrong? Yeah, at the outset, Osaka's statement, you know, talked about you know it's good for my mental health to not do these, you know, to have all the press uh, obligations. And from a pure business standpoint, you certainly understand where the organizers of the French Open and the other majors, which ultimately, as you said, came together, uh, where they're coming from, right? Because part of the publicity for their event and is is putting out, uh, you know, is having these post-event post-match press conferences. It's part of the job, so to speak, of being a professional athlete. You speak to the media. And while there have been notable athletes over time that have said, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I don't talk to the media. Um, you know, whether it's someone like, you know, Marshawn Lynch, who was very, uh, you know, very limited in his involvement with the media, going back to my childhood, Steve Carlton, who famously never spoke to the media, the Hall of Fame uh, pitcher from the Phillies. Um, but this one, we're in a different era now. And, you know, I think that uh, Osaka uh, then after the fine comes out and says, well, wait a second, right? It was more of a full disclosure of what was going on, talked openly about her uh, about her battles with depression um, and uh, the mental health challenges uh, that she has faced over time. So then other athletes rally around her. And whether it was Michael Phelps, right? Um, other high-profile athletes who has been very forthcoming, right? right, about his mental health challenges, uh, come out and support her. And then you start to say, okay, there, this is not just a, I don't want to talk to the media thing. There's something deeper going on here. And I think that the public opinion has really, by and large, been very much in her corner. And, and rightfully so. I think as you know, things have evolved since when you were playing freshman football at Stanford and being yelled at, right, by your then coach. Um, you know, things have evolved since when, um, you know, the water makes you weak days, um, you know, from a physical training standpoint. But I think the same time, that was the same event. But don't don't get started on my life, please. Right. But when we think about the, the mental health awareness, uh, you know, and understandably so, it's become a much bigger and much more important issue. My hope is that this continues to shine additional light on the mental health struggles of athletes. They're, they're athletes, yeah, but they're people just like everyone else, and they're no different. Uh, just because you're really, really good at sports doesn't mean that you are immune from the mental health challenges that everybody faces. You're a human being. Yeah, so 
I'm, I'm full, full team Osaka on, on this. I, I do wonder, and, and we don't have, you know, you never have the full story, so you don't know what happened. I do wonder what advanced work her team could have done to prevent this from being a moment. If from, from a business standpoint, you could have avoided this whole discourse that's taking place now, or, you know, she's wearing the, the names of uh, black victims of police violence at the U.S. Open, was this strategic on her part to, to elevate this issue in a way that only she had the, the ability to do by, by stirring it up a bit? I, I, I'll tell you what, what else I think about uh, in this moment and, and why I think anybody that's not on board with, with understanding, she's 23. So, you know, in, in, in some sense, you know, that's, that's very old for, for an athlete, Mr. Tom Brady. But I, I think about Jennifer Capriati and I think about her, you know, and all these age rules too come into play now. Jennifer Capriati, I think, turned pro at 13. Think about it. She's, she's in the, what, the, the finals of the French or the top, top 10. When Had she, a great run. Yeah, she, so uh, what, what if Jennifer Capriati, you know, could you, would you try to compel some, you know, you can, you can see it more clearly with a 13, 14 year old. And then we, we know what problems she went on to have. And then uh, had a, a course correction as her career went on. So just certainly somebody to look at and think about. We don't know where Naomi Osaka is. And anybody that says, well, she's, she's grown and she's decided to take this on herself. I think it's really missing, missing the point that a 13, 14 year old, uh, for sure, I think most of us can see, we don't, we don't know what mental illness is. We don't, I don't know why, you know, I don't know why I feel like this. And you, you haven't been through this experience in time that's going on now, as, as you rightly point out in the old days, this was all part of the game. And, and there, there weren't these, these athlete rights that are, that are there. So it, it is, I guess I'm full, full team of soccer. I wonder if it could be from, could have been handled from a business point, but certainly by the, uh, the, the French Tennis Association Federation, uh, Federation. handled much better. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. I, you know, and I, it's interesting. I didn't really think about the maybe she did this intentionally. I looked at this as there were some missteps on the side of, of her business team, just in how this was uh, handled at the outset, not in terms of what was said, not in terms of what her issues are, but how it was rolled out. Uh, but maybe there is something to this notion that this was calculated in a way to bring that this conversation uh, further into the light. Uh, you know, I think we're looking at that with giving her all the benefits of the doubt uh, along the way as she deserves uh, to have. Now, remember, from a sponsorship perspective as well, she's the top earning athlete, female athlete in the world last year. Um, you know, according to Forbes and the, you know, the places that look at this, um, these kinds of numbers, she was, in, her earnings was in the 50, 60 million dollar range, um, primarily having to do with, with the off-court um, endorsement deals that she has, um, not really, not really earnings on the court. Right. And once again, Nike is no fool. I mean, Nike should be behind her almost immediately uh, in this respect. And, and that, you know, that, that's an interesting conversation that we've had over the years is the decisions Nike has made to stay or not stay with people like, like Michael Vick to, to the Kaepernick most recently. And when these events occur, Lance Armstrong, I mean, it really is fascinating. And then going back way in history, as, as we talked about some, to, to Magic Johnson and the decisions by Converse and 
Seven uh, Up and companies like that to to go away from him when he announces he's HIV positive. Yeah, and there's no question that you know Nike should and the rest of our sponsors um, should and will stand by her. It's clearly the right thing to do. And and Nike, you mentioned you know the allegations uh, against Neymar, the Brazilian uh, football star, uh, and you know they ran away from from him. Uh, did Nike when those allegations of sexual uh, misconduct came to light? Um, uh, and so that that backstory is now being told and he switches sponsors. They terminate the deal uh, and he moves on as well. So but certainly the right move from a sponsorship standpoint here uh, to stand by her. And look, you know, we both have the ability and the pleasure um, and the honor of working with a lot of young people, uh, not just athletes, young people in general. And this is certainly, uh, you know, a topic, the topic of mental health uh, that is treated very differently now than when I started teaching in 1998. And when you started teaching in the mid eighties, it's just different. And I think it's very positive that we're having these conversations. And again, this recognition that athletes are human beings uh, and a 20, you know, and a 23 year old kid's a 23 year old kid. doesn't matter if they're in their first year of law school an Ivy league law school in a master's program and uh, at Columbia, um, you know, whether they are, you know, able to hit a tennis ball uh, with great skill and dexterity, right? They're, they're people. So in other words, old schoolers, I can't sit on the show and say, suck it up, Rosner, stay on it. Right. We got you got to uh, step back and, and realize there are moments when that that's not the right answer. There are, there are moments and, and, but there used to be no such moments. It used to be, you know, as you said, you, know, you don't need water, you don't need a break. You, you're killing the grass if you're, if you're, if you're not moving. I mean, all these things that were so common and generationally, and, and again, something as sophisticated um, in, in a sense of, of its longevity as a tennis federation Again, another issue of diversity. Who's in those rooms making these decisions? Who's who was there to tell them? No, it's not a good idea to, to send this notification out that that we're going to find and continue to find you essentially if if you don't show up. So yeah, th- th- there's a lot of lessons that are that are coming out of this. But but I think the the big overreaching one is it, it's a new day. It's a new day in sport. It's it's a new uh, it's a new athlete and. The enterprises that run it, if it's the NFL on kneeling, if it's these tennis federations, whatever it is, you really have to take a shot where we are. Things are moving forward and you can't you can't stay in the same place you were uh, back in the 50s and 60s. And if you don't, you deservedly so in today's day and age should be looked at as insensitive, callous um, and not really in touch with today's athletes. No, that's right. That's right. And And how can you fix that? By starting new sports leagues. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's how you fix it, Ken, but, but certainly um, my all-time... You have a chance to do it, you maybe do it the right way, right? You I do mean, have a chance to do it the right way. My I, all-time favorite alternative sports league is coming back, or at least the plans have been announced. The United States Football League, the USFL, uh, has announced plans that... It will return in the spring of 22 with Fox as its broadcast partner. 
The announcement came out yesterday as we sit here on June 4th, and details are really minimal. It sounds like at least eight teams, no cities announced yet. Um, there's already arguments about whether or not they actually own the internet, intellectual property uh, to the USFL. There is some controversy there, but Ken, I am fired up. I mean, it's going to be a different USFL clearly than it was in, you know, in the the early eighties and 83, 84, 85. Um, And for our listeners who don't know this, Ken knows this. uh, My father and I actually had season tickets to the Philadelphia stars at veteran stadium in 1983, 1984. They moved to Baltimore uh, for uh, the final season. Uh, of the league uh, and just really fond memories of that league. The stars were the dominant franchise uh, in the league. Uh, And I'm looking forward to next week. Uh, Ken, you and I were talking about this before the show. I'm teaching a course in our Columbia program on emerging and niche sports leagues. And uh, not only do we have Paul Reith's coming in, who wrote like the defining book on the USFL, uh, but we've also got Carl Peterson uh, coming in, who was the general manager, president, part owner of that Philadelphia Stars franchise, went on to to greater things uh, as the the GM and president of the Kansas City Chiefs for 20 years. But he's coming in to speak to to the students. And I you know, I'm going to have to hold myself back from going all fanboy uh, on uh, on Carl Peterson next week. Well, you know, I, 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 I jump the gun on, on, on the topic, but this this is certainly, as we think about things, we're going to look forward to in the coming week. This USFL uh, issue and whatever other startups, I mean, there's something new every week. It, it, it seems like that, that's coming about. But but I do think to to tie it into the last story, it's the idea of what do you have. You know, so DEI is is has to be a part of any any startup, right? We've had this moment in time, and now universally, companies that are going to be successful understand there has to be something in their announcement, uh, in their in their infrastructure with this. It's going to be interesting to see when they do finally announce more details. What's in there about mental health? How much detail is there in that? Um, and, and are the lessons learned? Because this this was. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's still that we're in mini pandemic. It's there's so many things that get magnified and uh, and are, are are driven to the forefront in a way that they haven't been before. But here you have that perfect intersection: the number one tennis player in the world, this you know this this major uh, tennis event coming up, and everybody paying attention. So 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 it does tie into this this USFL announcement that, that's coming up. The other thing that, that, that uh, you know, I'll continue to watch is, is this whole idea of race norming uh, and the NFL reversing course on using race norming on the concussion settlement discussions, you know, essentially saying that the baseline of mental acuity of, of black athletes was lower than white athletes. And, and so therefore, you know, we're not going to start paying you uh, at, at the same level that we've been paying, paying white athletes. There's so much of that throughout law and medicine that, that still exists. For the life of me, I cannot understand consulting with the NFL, so please don't cut my check off. <laughs> but I cannot understand who was in the room when this decision was made to do this in a league that's 70% plus African-American um, and, and, and knowing that this would be a public issue. And, under, and if you understand what the issue is, how, how could you even say such a thing? So, so I'm wondering if it's the end of the story, if we're going to hear anything else about this. And also, if, if you know what tends to happen with these kinds of stories 
is there going to be more exposure about this kind of issue anywhere else that, that we haven't seen exposed before? Well, I think it smacks of the ugliest and most in, insidious of our racial stereotypes. And to the extent that sports can be used uh, to, you know, help make that go away across society, uh, outside of sports, I think is a, a positive thing. Um, and, you know, hopefully this will also more directly involved with, with the NFL and the, and the concussion litigation, uh, allow more of the athletes who were not uh, deemed to qualify um, uh, to qualify. Right. right for for the for the financial resources uh, that they are entitled to. Anything else catching your eye? Well, you know, the, the one thing that I'm casually watching, and we brought it up uh, last show, is, is the WNBA and where they are, and is, is there some elevation in the focus on the WNBA? Um, so far, I you know, I, with no real science, we have a casual look at, at, at ratings and that sort of thing. No, no dramatic change have I seen, but it's still early in the season. It's, you know, it, it is a great product and I think there, there are probably more people open to giving it a chance, but some of the problem exists the same way. It's, it's not the easiest thing to, to be a viewer of. If, if you're in some cities where there's not a franchise, it's like, why am I going to be a, a fan of this Philadelphia for, for example? So it, it's, it's an interesting one to keep watching. The other one that, 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 uh, yeah, I'm curious to hear, hear where you are on that, but the, the other one I'll make sure we, we talk about is this, this whole coach transition thing that's happening and coach K stepping away, uh, 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 Steven stepping away up, up at the Celtics. So at pro and, and college level and, 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 and how that's done and how to do that the right way. The other the business question there, but first, you know, talk, talk about the WNBA, any, any thoughts on what's going on there? It's still early for you. Yeah, no, I, I look, I think the, the initial, uh, Weekend ratings and viewership was higher, um, and and pretty significantly so. Uh, I think that the mainstream attention that's been given to the league, uh, perhaps not because of things that have happened on the court. The on the court product is actually much much better than it's ever been. And for those of you who uh, watch, you I think you would agree with that. Um, but the off the court activities are really what's drawn the WNBA into the public eye over the last year or so. And they were certainly as a group of athletes, uh, the leaders of all athletes in my mind in the social justice space and took a very vocal and active and appropriate role in leading the conversation. Um, to me, they're the sports league story of 2021. Uh, 2020 into 2021. Think about the pandemic uh, and and to today's date. Um, you know, we talk a lot, Ken, about uh, sports having the power to change the world. And if you think about what the WNBA players did with support of the league yeah. in over the last 14, 15 months, they have helped to change the world from. Yeah. Kelly Leffler and the players on the Atlanta dream to the different moments around black lives matter and different things that the league did to the orange hoodie being a cause yeah. to me without question. And there's a lot of good ones out there, including its older brother, right? The NBA, 
But the WNBA is without question to me, the sports league of the last 15 months. Absolutely. And without question. I, I fully agree. And two unsung heroes. One, one of our alums, Bethany Donovan on the WNBA side and, and on the league side, Terry Jackson, the, the leader of, of, of the union over there. I mean, the, these women have, um, and both have special basketball connections and Bethany played really have helped to, to provide, um, and think about it too. I mean, the other thing that we don't, we don't say often enough, most of these, these women have degrees. They're, they're the most educated of, of if, if we make them, uh, you know, one of the top 10 leagues in the world, this, this is where the degrees are more so than anywhere else. So these women are constantly in, through, through the league and through the players association looking to learn more. So they, they're on top of these issues. I wouldn't be surprised if they comment on the Osaka issue or, or if they haven't already or those kinds of issues. They, they are prepared for that. So, so you're right. The, you know, as, as the ratings have, have tweaked up a little bit more kind of in, in the curiosity weekend, I would call the first weekend, we'll see what else goes on and how many people stick by virtue of coming to see what is a steadily improving product on, on the floor. And, you know, we talked at the beginning, Ken, I remember these conversations way back. Will the WNBA make it? It's 25 years old, folks. It's made it. Yeah. I mean, right. Is that, that's the end of 25 years. Yeah. That's a yes. <laughs> that, is, that is an absolute and affirmative yes. Uh, and absolutely right. Second, the notion on Bethany, um, Donovan at, at the at the WNBA, really like the number two person at the league behind Kathy Engelbert, the, the commissioner. Uh, and, and to take nothing away from Kathy, I mean, her leadership. No, Kathy's, Kathy's been great. I mean, she she's really been terrific. Uh, also fired up to have Bethany coming into that aforementioned Emerging and Niche Sports Leagues course uh, at Columbia next week to share her expertise. And, um, and uh, you know, it's yeah, always fun when the former yeah, no. students come on. Send, right? send me the link. Let me get in there. Uh, with the, done. Um, so as we come to a conclusion uh, on the conversation this week and a reminder to our listeners uh, that we have a couple of other podcasts that we'd like to give uh, our subtle plug to. Uh, at Columbia, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, uh, The Cusp Show, hosted by my colleagues uh, and friends, Tom Richardson and Joe Favorito, with a couple hundred episodes in the can, really good, some great guests. Uh, and Ken, on your end, well, overall, the Global Sport Matters podcast, and, and this we include in, in that one, and I, I do a regular one with the great Bill Roden as well, and, and we also capture some of the other conversations that we have along the way. Again, I, I think the, the beauty of all these podcasts is it, it's a little bit different from what's out there uh, in most of the, the settings that you have where there's a lot of discussion of the scores and you know which athlete has what injury and, and that sort of thing. This all of these lean towards more the business, the legal and societal issues of sport, which is insight that, that just isn't given enough overall uh, to understand, frankly, why some of these leagues are where they are and why some of the things are, are done that are done. You know, why are the NBA playoffs? Uh, why were they done this way this year? That's a business decision. And it has, it has very little to do with what's going on, on on the floor or thought about what's going on, on the floor. That evaluation will take place, uh, but the business decisions are behind a lot of these things that are going on. Yep. And we will continue to take a deeper look at these various decisions being made and hope to provide some deeper insight into the business, the legal side of the sports world. 
So as we come to a wrap this week, again, this is Scott Rosner, along with Ken Shropshire. You've been listening to the Sports Professors Podcast. See you next time. The Sports Professors Podcast is brought to you by Global Sport Matters in collaboration with Columbia University. For more news and to sign up for our newsletter from Global Sport Matters, go to globalsportmatters.com. And for more from the Columbia University Sport Management Program, go to sps.columbia.edu slash sports. This episode was produced by me, Kendall Jones, Manager of Events and Programs at the Global Sport Institute. And huge thanks to our sound design and editor, Sam Esparza and Big U Music. Global Sport Matters podcast is a production of the Global Sport Institute at Arizona State University. Our manager of marketing and communications is Crystal Valencia. Our digital communications specialist is Brendan Clean. And our marketing and event assistants are Natalie Skegan and Kate Nelson. Find more episodes and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen by searching for Global Sport Matters. And be sure to follow us on Twitter. We're at Global Sport MTRS.